On today's episode of Lessons in Product Management, we have the privilege of learning from John Gutrell, Chief Product Officer at Lauren Data Corp. John has been in product management, product marketing, and product leadership roles the majority of his career, as well as being a longtime instructor of the Pragmatic Institute, where he taught product management to who knows how many people. John has a love and passion for discovery that comes from his rich background in product, and I'm really excited for you to hear what he has to say. This is Lessons in Product Management. Let's get started. Hey, John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, look forward to having a discussion about discovery and uh, maybe learning the th- types of things you're hearing from your listeners and audience, John, because I'm, I'm sure you get lots of feedback and questions from them. Absolutely. Looking forward to the back and forth on, on different perspectives that, that we found and that we've heard from others. So uh, I think this will be a fun conversation. Right on. Well, I hope, I mean, at least, at least it's not antagonistic. We all believe <laughs> learning is important. So absolutely. Absolutely. That's what this is all about, right? Yeah. Without a doubt. Cool. So before we dive into discovery, could you give the listeners a quick uh, background on yourself and uh, you know, what, what you've done in your career and, and what, what you're doing today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, uh, I think I'm an accidental product manager like everybody else, right? I, I started another role, something opened up, uh, and uh, I've spent the majority of my career in product roles uh, as software companies, uh, mainly service platforms, uh, SaaS or cloud, as you, as you might call it. Uh, did a little bit of consulting and work at the Pragmatic Institute for a decade, working with a uh, hundreds of companies and thousands of folks. That was really rewarding uh, to listen and learn, uh, learn from them, right? Uh, because there's great product teams all over the place. Right now, I'm, um, I'm doing a, a role with operations and, and chief product officer for a supply chain SaaS company. And uh, I'm also working in a, a consultancy called Market Driven Business, where we help folks do discovery and, and uh, implementation work, actually taking concepts and seeing them work. That's that's the fun part. Talking concepts can be interesting, but seeing people actually implement is, is, is a joyous thing. Totally. I think that's one of the fun parts of product, right, is uncovering a, a good problem to solve that, you know, hel- helps keep a, a business viable and then seeing the solutions to those problems come to life and actually and actually solve the problem that you found. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, trusting your engineers to be the creative folks that they are, right? If we can give them enough insight, they can be just wonderful partners. Absolutely. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that uh, as we get into discovery a little bit more, but, but before we, before we go into that, I'm curious, what, what is, what is John's definition of discovery? How how would you define or frame it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the, the core requirement of discovery is curiosity, right? Knowing that, I can't be the alpha and the omega of everything for my product, no matter how passionate I am, uh, no matter how many inbound requests and insights I get. At some point, I've got to make it a priority, go out and learn, right? Yeah. Learn, um, learn from the people that don't have the time to do an enhancement request. Learn from the folks that maybe aren't our customers already, right? That would take us into new markets or segments. And so, uh, you know, discovery for me should be the majority of your effort as a product person. Um, you know, there's lots of administrative stuff so we have to do lots of documentation, but how can you write the right documentation if you don't have the basis of knowledge? And so discovery is that, that starting point for me, always. Totally, 
Totally agree. And, and you touched on a key, a key point that it, I think is uh, not well, like not talked about often enough, right? Like sometimes we talk about customer discovery and product discovery, but you mentioned like new markets and how do we uncover insights about new markets we could potentially go in. Do you have, do you have ways to go about that? Do you, do you try to find customers of competitors to, to get those insights or like, how do you, how do you go about uncovering some of those insights? Well, there's lots of different tactics. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, spent most of my career in B2B. So um, first thing I want to do uh, is, is learn from what's going on in the industry, whether it's working with analysts, you know, trying to figure out, are there some near adjacencies that are doing similar things? Mm-hmm. Or how could I apply my technology or my solution to a slightly different problem that maybe has incremental compliance requirements, uh, like moving into fintech, for example, right? <laughs> and there's lots of ways to move data. There's lots of ways to secure it, but how do you do it in a way that's compliant, that's relevant, and actually creates confidence in your users, right? Um, And so I use analysts uh, in the days pre-COVID. I would go walk the floor at a trade show uh, in an industry of interest. Uh, But at the end of the day, it it all goes down to um, cold calling, right? Going out and saying, hey, you got 10 minutes or uh, talking to randos uh, in B2C. When I was in the B2C markets, you know, I would go into retail stores and and hang out in the the area where the category of the product was and just ask people questions, right? Why did you select that product versus that one? Uh, What was your goal of coming in here today? Did you find what you needed? I mean, you got to do it in a non-creepy, non-threatening way, (laughs) right? Yeah. Uh, You kind of have to do a little more setup, but uh, you know, I think it's, it's just having the confidence to ask questions and the commitment to make it a priority. I think that's the the important because we can be just crushed by Slack and Teams and Zoom and Outlook that, um, We'll never see above the water, right? I mean, if we're waiting for us to have enough "quote unquote" time uh, <laughs> to do discovery, then you'll never get to it, right? Because the rest of the business and all of your tactical stuff will take 110 percent of your capacity to help them get what they want, right? But when are you going to focus on what you need to succeed in your career and market? And so, um, yeah, it just I, I actually block off calendar time, talk to folks on a yeah. weekly basis. I try to talk to three to five customers every week in a, in a non-sales, uh, non-support model. And I try to talk to, you know, an, you know, one or two folks, not in my market or not an active customer. Maybe I use business partners as an option because sometimes, you know, they serve a slightly different market than we do either geographically or industry wise. And so they can maybe do some introductions as well. Yeah, I think that amount of time is a really good heuristic. I'm hearing like five to six hours probably that you're spending talking with existing customers or potential potential customers in other markets. Really yeah, I mean, but that's true discovery, right? Not yeah. not escalated support issue or implementation <laughs> issue, right? right. That, I wish that was three to five hours. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. For sure. No, but, but when you say true discovery, you mean like generative discovery of like trying to uncover what, what you don't know or learn new things that, that you don't know. Is, is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you do innovation? Right. Right. Uh, well, let's just put it this way. If you know everything, John, why do you need a product manager? That's a good point. You, you need a project manager and a product owner. Go, go groom that backlog, see the schedule, <laughs> figure out what the costs are. Right. 
I agree, one hundred percent. And I think that's that's what's so unfortunate about delivery-driven companies that you know the, the real value in product management is the, the discovery part and uncovering the the unknown unknowns or the the known unknowns and getting those opportunities. Uh, for innovation and differentiation, right? Because otherwise you're left at, at guessing or copying competitors and, and you can't differentiate and win in a market if you're doing those two things. No, no, copying competitor, competitors is sure fire away to become like a number three player in a space, right? I mean, let's be number at, five at best. next year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, but I think, uh, I think we sometimes lull ourselves uh, into thinking we're learning when customers give us feedback. Right. But it's, but isn't it always the same three to five customers giving you their great ideas? Yeah. Right. And if you listen only to them, you're building their product, not the market's product. Right. Or your business. No. And that's such a good, a good delineation, right. Where kind of this model where product managers are treated like uh, order takers, where it's, Hey, customer ask you for something, you go and build that something and that's how we're going to win. And, uh, building for customers versus building for markets, I think is such a great distinction because one customer may not and probably doesn't represent even the largest part of your market. And even if they do, right? Like how do you know that the context that that customer faces is the same as another customer in that same segment? You don't unless you do discovery. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'll even take your logic a little further. And I've seen this mistake a lot. Hey, we're going to hire one of our customers to be a product manager. <laughs> right. And right. So they come in with decades of right or wrong understandings with a, with an understanding that's a, some narrow slice of how their business works. And, and uh, they, they get so confident and comfortable with their rear view mirror and how they used your product and what they want in your product it's not discovery. It's, I want to fix the things that annoy me. Right. And so I'd rather hire product managers and teach them the domain, people that are curious, passionate, that know the, uh, how to prioritize and, and, and put the right things on the schedule that then, then, then someone that, and someone that knows the domain and teach them product. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, that's a, it, there's kind of, you know, I don't know what the right profile of a product manager. It's kind of like an it factor. It's so, so hard to describe, right? It's a little bit of ADD, a little <laughs> bit of OCD, uh, and it changes where the company and the product is. But uh, you, you just you got to have that desire to learn, right? And an ego that allows you to say, yeah, you know what? Maybe I was wrong. Maybe we need to start identifying like, children at elementary school early, the ones that do have ADD and OCD and ask a bunch of questions that annoy the teachers. <laughs> well, I just know that's my life, right? I'm just, yeah. I, I'm just like using my personal experience and profile. It's like, you know, the job description, if it was honest, you know, must love, uh, you know, working with customers, changing tasks every 25 minutes and still try to achieve something for the business. A OD, OCD, ADD, a plus, acquire within, MBA optional, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and, and the practical the practical part of the interview is can you juggle? Yeah, yeah, while <laughs> while chatting, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. I think that's that, that's when you promote them from the help desk, I think. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but you know, you you talk about questioning, right? Um, I often think people try to go into interviews with like a list of questions, 
I, I, I go into interviews with the list of topics I want to learn about. And mm-hmm. if I only learn about one topic and just follow that discussion, that's more valuable to me than working through the checklist. Cause I'm not trying to get a survey, right? I'm trying to pull a thread and see where it goes. And okay. so uh, that's, that's one of the things I think that often, you know, everyone gets so excited to do a discovery call and they prep and they create questions and then they work it like it's a checklist when really it's a discussion. Totally. And I think I kind of relate that to doing podcast interviews, right? Like when I first started, I might've told you this last time we chatted, but it, it, it was very much like Q&A style where I had a list of questions, you would answer them and it didn't feel natural, but like, just like in, in com- like what I hope is a better podcast conversation now these days <laughs> is, is the same in a customer interview where it's more of a natural discussion. It feels more natural. It flows more naturally. And, and to your point, you're, you're going deeper on one topic versus making sure you cover that checklist of, of questions. And, and I think that's what's so beautiful about like the, the jobs to be done interview style right? Where it's, you don't come in with really any preconceived notions. You you don't come in trying to necessarily validate assumptions and like lead your customers to give you the answer that you want. You're you're trying to understand what, what their world is like and and the things that you don't know. Right. And, you know, jobs to be done. Observation is so central to that too, right? I mean, just Mm -hmm. actually seeing the work you know, how they interact with your application or their processes and other systems. Um, you know, I think uh, that's another lost art, right? Being willing to just go and watch, right? And that's something that COVID has taken away from us a little bit in lots of businesses and industries, right? Um, certainly there's some challenges in like healthcare domains around privacy and the like, but uh, yeah. it's just, you know, shadowing people and, you know, asking why. You know, why did you do that? And uh, I'm sure you've seen, you know, when they say, well, it's my job. You know, they give you some like pat terse answer and you ask them again. And then they think a little bit. Uh, and it's like the third time you ask them why you just got to be quiet because now they realize you want them to think. Right. Yeah. And you can see that the process flow is no longer something I'm asking about. Right. I'm asking for drivers, emotions and context, not tactics. 100%. And and I love that you mentioned observation because I've seen countless posts about like product management being like the scientific method where, but it usually starts with hypotheses. You have your hypothesis and then you go into experimentation to try to validate or invalidate it. But in the scientific method that we all learned in elementary school, it starts with observation. (laughs) That's the very first step of the scientific method. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's a, right. We, we see something we then recognize a pattern based on that pattern. We make an assumption or an assertion. Then we go through the process of validation and iterating on that. Right. And then, you know, and, and, you know, proving your hypothesis wrong is as valid. I mean, I mean, you gotta be not emotionally attached to that idea. Right. Because, um, you know, you know, throwing away bad ideas quick is as valuable as working on a good idea now. Yeah. Right. It's fail fast. It's all those, you know, bumper sticker things. But, uh, you know, you, your question really, your, your comment reminds me of this, like, everybody's like into data, <laughs> right? Let's go use the data on our system. Right. And, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm data science certified, I understand all that. Right. I can, you know, do a little coding and, you know, 
definitely do regression analysis, which is ultimately what functionally it's doing. Uh, and uh, But just because you found a pattern in the data doesn't mean you know about it, right? right? There's so many people that then make an assumption based on what they believe their product is. When really I found a data pattern, now I got to go up to talk to people that produced that pattern, right? To, to understand why or how it manifests itself in our product or our platform. Um, yeah, big data is, is both a blessing and a curse, right? It's, it's, not, it's not the decision driver, it's a pointer. Now I need to look at something. Now I need to understand something. Now, <clears throat> later in the process, you can use it as validation, right? I have an mm-hmm. hypothesis, I go to the data, but just you know, saying you know something because you saw data, I mean, if it's you know, true organically produced data on your platform, best you can say is now I gotta talk to people. No, I have a great example of that. So I worked for a company, I won't say the name, but there was an assumption that one of the products wasn't seen as valuable to the market because it wasn't getting much adoption and it was the lowest revenue generating product that they had. And so the assumption internally from some of the feedback they they had gotten anecdotally and just the the quantitative data, right, of of revenue, the, the assumption was that the market didn't want it. And all of the market research that I had done said otherwise, said it was actually table stakes in this market. Um, and following up with like user interviews, we, we understood why it wasn't getting the adoption that, that it was. And it had nothing to do with market desirability or market needs. It had everything to do with um, how painful it was to get up and running on that product that, that we had at the time. So um, yeah, onboarding, yeah, right? Exactly. Barriers to productivity. You know, we, we build a widget and then we're so close to it, we think it's all easy, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I just, uh, a support person, implementation, go in, create an account, give them access, and then they can read the FAQs. Uh, but nobody reads FAQs. And in fact, if your whole strategy for onboarding is documentation, best of luck, John, yeah. best of luck. <laughs> you know? exactly. um, now, you made a good point. Um, you know, we got to ask questions of why ourselves. Why are we not successful? right? Not just our product. Why are we not? And that, that goes back to the ego thing, I think a little bit. We can't have an ego in this role because there's a lot of bad meetings I've gone to where if I was all about my ego, I would have left and like, maybe I should do something else. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. And, and I think that's what, that's like the other cool part of discovery, right? Because you have like the early messy generative stuff where you're trying to learn what you don't know, but then there's like the evaluative part of things where you, you dive into kind of the, the more UX component of like, is this actually providing utility? Did, did we understand the problem well enough and how do we validate that? And then can, can customers use it? So there's kind of like this like life cycle of, of discovery that goes from early discovery into the delivery phases. At, at least that's how I see it. I don't know what, what your perspective is. I don't know. I've, I try to keep things simple, right? I, I want something to work. I want to solve the problem. Maybe not in an awesome way, um, but I want it to solve a problem in, in a meaningful way. Then, uh, then I want it to work well. And then I want it to be elegant. And that's where you spend a lot of time looking at user experience, uh, how they move through the application. Um, but, but lots of folks don't think they can jump right from make it work to make it elegant. And 
I, I can't tell you how many times that uh, assumptions and assertions from monolithic uh, builds to elegancy have wasted money in companies, right? I mean, start small. I mean, the idea of MVP is uh, a hypothesis. Let's see yeah. if this is the right thing and iterate, right? I, uh, it's a cultural change, right? Um, even for agile organizations, right? They're like, oh, we hired a UX person. It should be good out of the gate. No, you hired someone that knows a discipline right. and works a process. And that process isn't do stuff magic, right? It's do stuff, learn and get better. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm with you on that, right? We got to f- find a way to, to iterate towards better, not perfect, right? Because perfect can just stop us all. Right. Because pe- people are going to pay for value, not pretty, right? If, if the pretty thing doesn't create value, then they don't really care. Yeah, I mean, I'd use some ugly stuff, right? I mean, like Google <laughs> exactly. Google Docs a couple of years ago is about as ugly as you get. And I still don't like <laughs> the PowerPoint thing. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you. Sure. Cool. So early in the discussion, you mentioned like the genius of, of engineering and, and development. And I completely agree. Like I love my partnership with my, my engineering counterparts. And there's, there's, an, there's often a debate around involving developers in discovery or, or when, when to involve developers. And, and I'd, I'd love your take on it. You know, um, that's a, you know, this is, you know, this is a landmine, right? There's <laughs> going to be somebody online and be like a trellis jerk. Uh, but um, here, here, there's, there's a couple ways to look at discovery. Uh, first off, I think you share everything with your engineers not your summary data. You give them the raw data because they might see something that you didn't see in the interview. Um, you do quarterly business reviews, share them so they can see how they're contributing to success. Um, the time I think I want engineers in discovery are when they say, um, who wants this thing? Then I want to take them out and hear firsthand who wants this thing, right? Because some of our engineers, um, they know our product so well. They, some of our engineers have been with the companies in startup mode, right? So they've had some personal interactions or continuous interactions with our customers that create a belief that maybe, in fact, for some product managers, they might talk to more, development might talk to more customers than, than some folks, right? And, uh, but they get a sliver, right? I mean, developers aren't talking to happy customers. It's level three escalation architecture, big, big, big problem. Right. I mean, right. Um, but you know, I think it's when, um, no, when they say nobody wants that, you have to show them with, with personal experience that you didn't just make it up. It's not out of your mind. It's out of the market. And so I love bringing engineers so they can hear the market when they don't understand that that's something the market needs. Gotcha. Do you feel like there's any value in like being more preemptive in that approach where it doesn't get to a question of like challenging whether the market needs it, but like, or, or do you feel like it's, it's more of a managed by exception type of approach that, that works best? Yeah, I think it's managed by exception, right? I mean, okay. the good engineers, um, they, they want to build great things, right? Mm-hmm. The good engineers, they want to get creative and, and have the context necessary to to be the experts that they are. Um, you know, I think um, not a whole lot of engineers that want to go out and do interviews on a consistent reoccurring basis against a quota, right? And I just, I, 
I mean, if, if someone's got time and wants to go on a customer site visit, you're always welcome, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's I'm not going to make it a requirement of their success or the success in our relationship some way. I just want to build trust. I want them to know that I'm doing my job like a thoughtful product manager, not just making stuff up. Right. Right. And and when we get that sort of mismatch in understanding, well, come on out. Let me show you. Totally. Right? Totally. Yeah. And, and that's that's kind of the balance that like personally I'm trying to strike right now is like making sure that they have context, but not demanding that they be in all the customer interviews. Because in reality, if we're doing five or six hours a week of customer interviews outside of all the other meetings we're having to, to take on and, and the actual work that they need to do, that it just, it feels like there's better ways to leverage their time than, uh, than spending six hours in, in meetings. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, it, 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 it depends on, you know, of course, uh, what your culture's like, right. Um, sure. You know, a, uh, a fall in design thinking kind of organization that does the customer uh, workshop components, you know, you know, let, let's bring them in, right. Let's yeah. bring you X. Let's, you know, we've, we've got a problem. Everybody agrees that this is a problem. Now let's start creatively working together as partners with ourselves internal to our business and out in the market. So, you know, it, it's a little bit of process and culture, um, but um yeah, it's hard for me to say let's let's pull development out for twelve hours of discovery meetings a month. Yeah, and uh, and then who do you pick? Right? Do you pick only the manager? Well, that doesn't really help the people doing the work, right? So I try to like rotate and get everyone involved uh, as possible, not just into you know go, a go to person that I've got that I you know have lunch with a lot. Yeah, and, and that's that's what's interesting, right? Because like people like Marty Kagan will argue that it needs to be the product trio. You have your your product manager, your dev, your dev lead, and then your or your tech lead, and your and your UX designer. Um, and, and I've I've seen that try to operate in organizations before, and then other engineers on your team like want to contribute earlier, want that context, and it's like mm, it, it almost it almost kind of feels like you're like, well, that's not your role but they still have value, like valuable feedback and ideas and like giving them that context helps them versus just hearing it, you know, secondhand. So I, I like the rotational model and I, that's something that, that we're trying right now is, is seeing like how well that works. So it's good, good to yeah, hear you have uh, success with that. Yeah. And I've done the, the product team, uh, the, you know, that you call it the trio because Kagan's, I call it product author, right? Uh, yeah. You know, and, and it's a little different mix. It's product marketing, product management, engineering, and design, right? They, they kind of all have accountability, uh, but they got to have accountability for the success of the product, right? Where I think some of those things break down is, is I'm participating on a thing, a committee, and certain members of that committee aren't compensated towards a goal of a shared goal, what that team will deliver. Uh, they're all managing to different... Uh, tactical uh, measures versus strategic goals. And so I think where a lot of those fall down is that, you know, we're not all marching to the same finish line. We're all doing similar work at the same time and it feels good. And certainly it, it gives us a collaborative kind of story to tell, but are we really accountable? Right. And so I think where most of those things break a little bit is we're all, are you accountable for the same thing? 
and we're not. Product's not accountable for the same things as design. Design's not accountable for the same things as engineering. And uh, But interestingly enough, we all need the same kind of content, right, to be good at our job. And that's so uh, that's where discovery is, is critical. That's true. So I, I had, I'm glad you mentioned product marketing. I had um, Bob Mesto on the, the podcast a few months back and we were talking about jobs to be done. And one of the things I told him was as I was studying kind of jobs to be done literature, the thing that stuck out to me, because I, I, I have kind of a marketing background, it's, it's kind of a checkered background that I have, but um, uh, I understand product marketing concepts, right? And like the jobs to be done interviews provides a lot of great, valuable insights that product marketers could use around positioning. What, what, is, what, is, the, what is the market say our brand is? Um, how do customers talk about their problem so we can refer to it in the same language? Stuff like that, where I think having product marketing in those discovery conversations would be invaluable for them to, to help them well, in, in what they need I'll, to do. I'll, I'll push back a little bit. Uh, okay. Not, not that they shouldn't be in those discussions, but they should have their own discovery process and own it. Win-loss, know the buyers, um, understand what channels they care about, understand their language, understand the criteria they use and their journey as a buyer to make a good decision. Right. Um, and then, you know, I'll bifurcate personas between buyers and users. Right. Someone's got to be the owner of users. Someone has to be the owner of buyers. Uh, now they got to share information. They got to crosstalk and, uh, you know, do things in maybe a, a joint way at times. But uh, in companies and teams I've managed, uh, buyer personas are product management or product marketing, rather, and user personas are either UX or product. And where, where UX owns the persona, then the problem at the positioning is typically uniquely owned by product management. Hmm. No, it's good. It's good perspective. Cool. Uh, well, John, I, I really appreciate this conversation, man. I, I think we took it probably 12 different ways, but there, <laughs> there's so much to unpack in discovery. I don't think you could do it all in 30 minutes, but I, I feel like we covered a lot of good ground. Uh, we did talk about a lot of stuff and we <laughs> somehow just blew through 30 minutes. So, uh, and uh, you didn't have a list of questions and it seemed natural, John. So I think we did our job, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity anytime we get to chat. It's always always good to learn from you and, and your vast experience in product and seeing different things o- over the years. So it's uh, it's always good to learn from you. Yeah, well, I failed a bunch, so uh, <laughs> that, that helps. That helps a little bit. Sure. Cool, John. Well, thanks for joining again today, man, and uh, I, I look forward to catching up again real soon. All right, very good. Appreciate it. Cheers. That was John Cottrell, Chief Product Officer at Lauren Data Corp. John and I covered so much ground, you might have to go back, re-listen, and take some notes because John dropped some insights after insights in that conversation. I really enjoyed that one. If you're enjoying these episodes, be sure to subscribe, and I'd be super grateful if you would share, rate, and review the podcast so that more product people can enjoy learning from these conversations too. Thanks for joining me today, and I'll see you next week on Lessons in Product Management.